Perhaps the most important guests we've ever had on the show. You guys, it's time for a show starring our listeners. Or in less fancy terminology, it's time to empty out this enormous bag of emails that's been piling up to the virtual rafters. I'm Judge Jim, and with me tonight are my two best judges forever, Judge Job. Jim and Jeffrey. Hello, Internet Land. And Judge Jeffrey. Hey, everyone. So, dudes, man, this has been like the cursed episode to get done. This should have been 13. I think Michael right? and Harley messed us up coming on the show. Yeah, they're a bunch of troublemakers. Yeah, definitely a tough one to get scheduled. This, this, is, this has been harder to get this one done than the pilot episode that will never be shown or listened to. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty tough. Oh, I'm just glad to be with you guys. How about we just uh, dive right in and go straight to the tavern? And the first rule of bartending is this. GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken. F*** that. Tavern Talk. So, what did we do in gaming the past two weeks? <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Well, for me, it's more writing, writing, writing. So, I've been writing... The Monster Alphabet, uh, nonstop for two weeks and not sleeping or um, eating, just drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to get some gaming in before our next episode here, though. So I've, I've got uh, some guys coming over to play um, another uh, another adventure I'm working on. So it should be fun. I'll have some some news to report back next week. You got the Dungeon Alphabet and then they uh, put the cover for your DCC module online, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The one who watches from below, they they put the the cover up there, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, but the Doug Kovacs cover, it, it's you know I just totally lucked out. I got the best cover so far for any DCC uh, module that's come out. It was an awesome looking cover. I mean, it just it definitely wasn't a great looking cover. I mean, I saw the pencils at Gen Con at Doug's booth, and the pencils were awesome, but the color, the color, and just the painted version, wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a funny story behind that too. So. Um, you know, the, the, 
Joe asks you like the for like ideas about what you think the cover sh- should be. So I, I did a few, and I was like, well, you know, all these different covers have have you know these great color schemes. I was like, all right, well, I want I want to have a cool color scheme, you know, that's different than the other ones. So I was like, all right, it's going to be like green and black, you know, like phosphorescent green. Exactly, exactly. So I had this idea of like there's a wizard. And you see all these tentacles behind him, and the, there's light coming off a book from under his face, so it's like underlit type of thing. And uh, so I guess Doug did pencils for that, and then um, Joe uh, went to him and said, um, "He's like, you know, th- this is cool, but it seems like it could be a little bit cooler if uh, what if the wizard's head, entire head, was an eyeball?" I was I was kind of dubious actually, and to be totally honest, I was like, oh, I don't know. Okay, okay, sure. And then and Doug drew just a little sketch where he like basically erased the wizard's head and just like drew a big round eye over it. I was like, oh man, this is gonna suck. I mean, this <laughs> this is really you know. I mean, hey, it's 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 his company. He can screw up his covers any way he wants, right? But you know, after I saw Doug's pencils, it's like, oh man, this is awesome. So then they they had me rewrite some of the text to um, incorporate the the eyeball guy on the cover, and and now with the colors, holy moly, it's awesome. It's just gorgeous. See, I love collaborative creative process like that. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. It definitely turned out great. So it it, it, it was very impressive. I know I got lots of comments when it hit the G plus and Facebook circles at how cool the cover was from lots of folks. So. We'll, we'll hope the writing matches up, right, Joe? <laughs> well, I played in it, and, 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 and that's part of why the cover's so cool, because after having played in it, the cover almost triggered my Joe Bittman PTSD, because I'm like, eyeballs, not the eyeballs! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I've seen a couple of other pictures that Doug did for the inside and the uh, the maps, and he just did an amazing job. And uh, I think you saw my original maps, Jim. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he actually incorporated, like, a kind of traced over a couple of the things that I put in there. So I was, I was pretty happy with that. It's like, Oh, cool. It's like, I kind of, kind of worked in some of my actual stuff that I drew too. So I like that. How about you, Jeffrey? Let's see. We've had a couple sessions of gaming, uh, with my online group, uh, DCC. We, uh, let's see last, they were trying to, they had bailed out of, uh, sea queen escapes. They were trying to get a curse removed that the the patron that was going to remove that curse sent him off to what essentially was frozen in time. So I ran him through frozen in time. I bumped the levels up because most of the group was around fourth level or so. So I bumped up the the stats of a lot of the critters and stuff like that. And I think the frozen time that went really well. Uh, they got out of there and ended up getting their curses removed. They are back in the great city, the main city I used for within the, within our campaign. And uh, last session or so, there's been a lot of ad hoc improv stuff as they sort of just decide what they're, they're going to do. They've, of course, taken over a certain temple from one of the DCC modules. They've been working on revamping that. They've had a statue idol that's been plaguing them, chasing them. They finally figured out how to stop that. They, uh, let's see, they've kidnapped a wizard from one of the, uh, up from the market area, and they've, they've been dealing with some of the ramifications of that as well. So we've been getting a lot of stuff done in the game, so it's been going well. We've been having a great time. I finally got some a couple of characters are up to fifth level. 
Lock four levels. So yeah, we're starting to get into that. You know, they're starting to get some impressive spells. We're getting some fireballs going now. Playing our step. We're getting. It's starting to get a little trickier to, to run for as I adjust to the scope of power they have. That's uh, what I'm thinking. It's time you're going to have to step your game up. I am. I am because it's starting to be. You can't just throw any old creature against them. It, it needs to be a little more powerful, a little more thinking behind them, or something like that. But it's been fun. Uh, it's it's going well. Well, we've got some emails coming up that are campaign-centric sorts of questions, and I think you're going to be the guy to give the best answer. And I love what you wrote in your blog, the Iron Tavern, this week. Kudos for that. Yeah, we've gotten so many questions, I figured, for people that didn't listen to the podcast or just to be able to easy point of reference. I was like, I need to write some of the what it's like to run a longer-term campaign DCC. We just ran the fifth session of uh, my campaign uh, this past Saturday, and uh, I'm just tickled to death with my players i just i've got the ideal group they go from age 9 to 47 boys men women and five sessions in and everybody is finally on the same old school page where they're really playing smart and they're thinking about things they got to the end of the adventure i wrote and i shoved them straight into stone hell dungeon the uh secret convention only level that uh, michael curtis ran us through at north texas con that you could get a copy of if you contributed to the stone hell fundraiser so they are in the great stone hell laser massacre or i'm sorry i mispronounced that michael insists it's massacre <laughs> alice's restaurant yeah yeah that's right <laughs> well the ramones and uh, and they uh, they didn't know what had happened. They just knew they got transported somewhere. And the first in- and the 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 last encounter of the dungeon they finished was uh, near TPK. And the first encounter in Stonehell was a near TPK. And they went right up against an iron golem. And being very practiced at this point in fighting large animated chunks of metal, they didn't understand it was an iron golem till about two-thirds of the way through the battle they caught on. But one of the guys had pyrokinesis and actually healed this thing that was in the middle of killing the whole party. The thing that I love is uh, Micah the nine-year-old. The two standout old-school moments for me in the game were Micah the nine-year-old, who wants to you know swing his sword or his axe and just hit everything, was in a position where he couldn't do that because he didn't have anything that would hurt the Iron Golem. And then I watched him figure out that his character class gets to do the donate, spend one point of luck, donate two. And once he figured that out, he just he just sat there and started pumping luck like crazy, round after round, into the fighter who did have a weapon that could hit the Iron Golem. And I just saw him light up and engage, and I just and participate. That was a really good moment. And then uh, Rick Hall, who's uh, been doing playtest uh, judging for Goodman Games, has joined the group. And I saw Rick do the most old school thing that the end of the other dungeon i had a the the near tpk was this complicated trap that i set up where there's a device that if you touch it once you get two three points of intelligence you touch it again you get another point of intelligence and you age you touch it the third time and you hand me your character sheet because your character just became the big bad monster doug kovac style that's going to wipe the party out and so that (laughs) happened i got one of them i didn't get a tpk but i got one player that way and so they're they're sitting there and i watched rick sit there and go okay we're probably all going to die but either way no harm and i walk up and get my three points of intelligence in the middle of combat bang (laughs) (laughs) either either that or he wanted to kill his character too but i think it was the first thing (laughs) <laughs> so, so what did the character do when you uh, took his character sheet? 
Oh, these are these are good guys. Uh, that's a player uh, named Kevin. Uh, he's one of the older players, and he was he totally uh, was digging it. And I I knew I was gonna if I didn't wipe everybody out, I knew you know somebody was gonna go probably. And uh, I you know because I kind of it's, it's an old school trick similar to the one that you like to use, where if you put enough gold in there, you can lure them into doing anything. Well, I figure if you put something big and strange enough there, they won't be able to keep from touching it. And so when uh, he, I, I had toyed with the idea of maybe letting him play it, but I really couldn't. So uh, he just sat there happily watching his uh, former player character, you know, start murdering people. And uh, I had it rigged where as soon as I got to Stone Hell, he got a new character. Nice. So very, very happy with how my little group's going. That's cool. That's good. Well, how about we summon some emails? <laughs> You've got mail. Message for you, son. Summon email. Okay, since this is an all-email show, uh, we're going to answer the emails that are piling up. This will be the main segment of the show. And uh, just to remind everybody, if you want to add to our giant email bag, you can write us at the band at spellburn.com or through our forums at osrgaming.org. And thanks everybody for writing. I we got good emails tonight too. Yeah, we do. We got piles of email. They kept they kept coming in. They kept rolling in. It was great. We've even got uh, players from our campaigns writing in to complain about their judges. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that, my players. <laughs> so, on that note, let's dig in. Okay, so our first email is from Will Smith to the Judges of Doom. So, Judge Will here. Thanks for staying on the interwebs. First, a correction on Judge Jim's comment about my character death in his game. Bruce fell to his death because of the you-say-it-you-do-it rule. I didn't articulate that I wasn't going in because I was trying to get Jim's attention while the debate went on. I was thinking something would kill me on the way to the door, so I didn't articulate that I would go up and look in. I figured he was dead when I sent him in, so it wasn't that big a deal when he fell to his death. But I should have made a point to say, Bruce runs up and looks in. I mean, we had some 24 characters with no deaths. I was looking for some weird traps or strange mojo to crop up, and we would start trying to figure it out. In the end, I got the result I wanted. The party moved forward to the door. (laughs) Is it me, or does that sound a lot like Bart Simpson? I meant to do that. It it, it sounds a little akin to that, yes. (laughs) Yes. So... Will continues with, anyway, I learned my lesson. I need to be specific in what I say so that Judge Jim hears what I mean. It also taught me that to use in my own games so that when they, uh, so when they move forward more quickly. So I highly recommend Judge use the rule, you say it, you do it. That's uh, the Jim Ward protocol. I got that from Jim Ward. Yeah, I think that's a, that's, I should try that sometime, see how that plays out, uh, what that does to the game. Uh, Will continues with, I'm running a DCC RPG session over at PandoraCon, a steampunk-themed con, and tried to pick the most steampunky adventure, Frozen in Time, that they could find that might interest this group. I wanted to do a steampunk theme, but honestly, that genre isn't my strong suit. I couldn't come up with any ideas that would be something other than cliche while thinking up the encounters on my own, so I just settled on Frozen in Time. However, I still think that steampunk would be an interesting twist in DCC, and the system would totally rock. But my creativity just was not up to the task. What are some ways to steampunk up some of the character classes and give DCC a new twist, specifically the warrior and wizard classes? 
Anyway, great show, and I look forward to the next one. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks, Will. Will is actually Micah's dad that I was just talking about. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. So what do you think? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of steampunk, to tell you the truth. I, there's copper and steam, I think, right? And there's funny goggle glasses. Well, yeah, monocles, goggles, a lot of Phil Foglio girl genius stuff going on. Yeah, I'm not a great steampunk person either. I really haven't done much of steampunk. So I'm not sure I have a great suggestion. Spice up. I, I think Will was on the on the cusp of it there. You just I if if it was like it would take some work, but you could take Frozen in Time and just reskin it as steampunk. I mean, I don't want to yeah. talk too much about Frozen in Time since it's a fairly new publication. But I mean, there are things in there. I mean, instead of you know that thing, that giant thing in the stasis chamber that eventually comes after you, it's a you know steam robot giant thing in the stasis yeah. chamber. Clockwork yeah. Titan Beast or something. Yeah, that would work. Reskinning it, changing, yeah, changing some of the mysterious power things to steam generated things, fill the place with more steam coming from vents. I mean, and instead of the Neolithic village at the base of the glacier, you're, you know, the Doc Savage adventures landing at the Arctic glacier. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, reskinning it might work out pretty well. That's actually probably a pretty good approach to it. It, it doesn't steam punk have a kind of like guns in it or something or sure i mean it would be technically late 19th century right yeah so i don't know maybe the warrior could have a flintlock or something i'm not sure a blunderbuss yeah i was thinking blunderbuss for the warrior giving us something like that It'd be sort of cool um wizard classes uh you could just use different different set of spells, something that's more appropriate to the air. You know, like, you know, the, the appendix in literature, not all of it takes place in fantasy worlds. The, some of the Lovecraft stuff's really modern. You could go get that Labyrinth Lord uh, Love uh, Cthulhu book that Don Proctor and uh, Michael Curtis wrote. That's got, a, that's got a whole bunch of that era kind of thing in it that you could apply then to Wizards. That's a great book. It is. I just got it recently. So when you guys know the title, I don't know if I've seen it. Crawling something. Put it in the show show uh, in the show notes, but it's outside okay. of my reach at this moment. Okay. But uh, I, I yeah. know it's I know it's on the shelf right now at Gateway Games because I bought the second to last copy. So we'll go buy the last copy. <laughs> it's cool, and we can link to it in the show notes too, so folks can see what we're talking about. Okay, next email. Yeah, sorry, we're more help, Will. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, we were help. Um, I, 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 I'm sorry, it's not steampunk, but it's it's close enough. I just thought of Scott Mathis just came out with the Transylvania Adventures for DCC RPG, and that's that same era as steampunk, and there are certainly steampunk elements in uh, what Scott Mathis wrote, and and along with some magic. Oh yeah, that's interesting uh, because that's out. You can get it now. Yeah, yeah, the PDF's out now, and the uh, print on demand will be here shortly. Have you guys gotten it yet? At the PDF. There's a, there, you, you should um, do a text search for Job. Oh, really? Oh, really? I, I, I got a little shout-out. I gave him some help. So. <laughs> oh, I did, cool. I, I did see you in the credits. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, that's what I was talking about. So there you go, Will. We did our best. Oh, hey, I'm up. And it's uh, our old pal, 
DM Kojo. Hi, guys. I have a few questions about clerics after listening to episode number 10. Number one, do clerics randomly roll their initial spells like wizards? Um, we should probably just hit these as we go on since there's so many of them. Yeah, um, yeah, that'd be good for this one. Yeah. Well, this is a, a hot topic of debate <laughs> on the internet. Yes, it is. I think we should take a definitive stand and claim we our answer is the only correct one. <laughs> yeah, that'll <laughs> win us lots of favor. <laughs> well, I'm kidding. It'll be I'm kidding. Let's, you, let's don't do that. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting. Uh, where do you guys stand? Because I'm in this. I'm in the camp of um, let them pick them. Oh man, softy. Whoa, I make them randomly roll. Really? Yep. Though I could be talked into uh, randomly rolling, like initially randomly rolling half of them and the deity sort of assisting with the others. But yeah, I do a random roll. I would have gone with just, I, I would have reflexively gone with what we used to do in basic D&D, which is just you pick them and every day you can change them. But uh, after after we recorded that episode and discussed it, uh, we'd said something like, you know, the DM role playing the cleric's deity would assign the spells, and you would just you you know you would do that well intentioned for the player. But now I'm thinking it, maybe the player should decide which spells they want and pray for them, and then the judge role plays the deity and they see how that turns out. That makes sense. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. This is what yeah, I want. Please, works. please give it to me, and then what happens happens. But that's not a mechanic. That's role playing. Yeah. yeah, and I really it, think it's uh, subject interpretation. Go with what feels comfortable to you. The first cleric I ran, we did random rolls, but like I, said, I could be talked into something a little more lenient, uh, a little different. I, I, I don't know if I would go with that. You could choose your spells each day, but and I don't know why because I've played clerics and D&D and Pathfinder lots of times and thought it was great but um, but yeah it's a pain in the ass to worry about every game day it is it is especially when you get into lots of spells but DCC is a little more manageable because there's not so many spells but uh, but yeah there's more work to do I can barely I can barely keep up with our forms you guys know the Goodman forms better than I do has Joe stated his personal preference I haven't looked. I haven't looked at looked at it in a while, so I I don't remember. I've just been you know head down buried <laughs> in in my computer for a month. Right, the, that's it. I haven't seen him say that, but I know in general he very rarely makes an official ruling because it's more about guidelines than it is about official rules. So I, I very rarely see him make an official ruling, unless someone can recall something. But I mean, I'm sure there's been some things, but a lot of times it's. He lets people hash it out on the forums, and you know, hey, if it's vague, a judge's discretion. So, I'm all uh, about the old school where you know you do it the way you think is best at your game. Yep, and I agree. Yeah, and definitely. So we kind of already answered question two. Yeah. So the second part of the question here is: Can clerics pray for different spells each day, like in D and D, or are the set are the are they set with their initial spells determined at level one until you go up in level? And we kind of covered that, but um, you're making. The, I was just thinking too that you know that would be a good good place to uh, to uh, lean on deity disapproval too. Right on. Do you want to like pick your spells? <laughs> well, you better get that disapproval down. So yeah, and that would be a good way to handle that mechanic too. Be an interesting way. 
Okay, so number three. Do clerics have the ability to spell burn or use luck to modify their spell results? No and yes. <laughs> right? Clerics can spell burn, right? There's a note in there that says basically in rare cases, clerics do have the ability to spell burn, but it's, you know, judge discretion, something like that. Oh, wow. I didn't think they were allowed to. Yeah, it's supposed to be. It, I, that's pretty much how I understood it. How Job said it, which is sort of rare cases, sort of judge's discretion, but they can spell burn if they wish. I believe, you know. I, I've used it once. Costs. I, it might have been at that game you were at, Jim. I, I think I might have let somebody a cleric spell burn for the first time ever. Oh, that poor guy! I can't remember his name, but I'll remember his face forever. Yeah, and I think I lo- he spell burned. And he still and he still failed. <laughs> yeah. So page one hundred eight in the rule book has a section on spell burn by clerics. Yeah, spellburn's a form of magic generally reserved for wizards. However, under highly unusual circumstances, mostly associated with great magic items or rare formula, clerics can also utilize spellburn. Clerics can never utilize spellburn for normal spells. Only under specialized circumstances, the judge will specify. Oh my so, god! It's supposed to be one of the rare beasts that they they can spellburn if they so wish. You know what that means? That means I played through an, the chained coffin with a cleric and didn't spellburn once. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, see, and the last little closing statement that when a cleric does utilize spell burn, it invariably involves ritualized behavior associated with the rites of his deity. So, you know, it might be some, I don't know, calling forth a deity or something of not normal note. But yeah, they, they're, the option's there. Can't just chop off part of your ear like a, a wizard would do. Right. You're not going to cast bless and chop off part of your ear and get it all, you know, ranked right up there. But. There could be scenarios where it would be useful. See, I learned something today. Thanks, Kojo. Okay, so number four. Can clerics modify their turn unholy or lay on hands rolls using luck? I allowed a cleric to modify their turn unholy near the end of Sailors of the Starless Sea, and it turned the tide significantly and avoided a TPK. But was I ruling this correctly? I did do that in the chain coffin. And I would let a cleric burn luck on turn unholy or lay on hands. If it was me running. Yeah, me too. It's a, it's a roll, and sometimes luck is supposed to turn the whole tide of the game pretty quickly, so I wouldn't feel bad at all if I allowed them to burn luck and it caused them to avoid a TPK. I'll get them next time. So, DM Kojo, you were ruling that correctly, I believe. Okay, yeah, and he closes with, Also, I agree with you that it would be nice if the deities were given a little bit more description and some guidelines to their powers and abilities they can grant PCs. Thanks, and keep up the good work, DM Kojo. Thanks, Kojo. Thanks, Kojo. Thanks for writing in. I think he writes another one later on here, so... Yeah, yeah, we've got another one coming. We'll, we'll be hearing from him soon. So, listeners, <laughs> listeners, if you're not fully Kojo'd up, stay tuned. <laughs> All right, our next email is from DM... <laughs> I game with this guy, and I can't pronounce his name. How pathetic is that? DM Brynar... But I know him as, a.k.a. Doc Mindwiped, and he writes, Dear Judges Jeffrey, Job, and Jim, or should that be 3J? I have recently started to listen to your podcast, and I have to say you guys sound very passionate about it, and it does sound like it's a game that I might enjoy. Unfortunately, I just can't get my head around the D20 system, minimalized or not. Maybe the D20 system is too simple for my brain to be able to comprehend. I don't know. But I do know that me brain is making just about the same noise as the Millennium Falcon's hyperdrive when they're trying to escape the Star Destroyer, but the hyperdrive refuses to work. 
Okay, what's that noise? And it's been like that every time people have tried to explain to me how the D20 system works. You have the bass, and then you just add, and then you roll over and insert brain-melting sound here. Well, enough pleasantries. Something that really caught my attention is the spell mechanics, where any and all spells may produce some strange and random results. It sounded so interesting, in fact, that I'm toying with the idea of getting the book purely for that mechanic and adapting it to the game, a.k.a. TSR D&D, and inserting it into my mix-and-match campaign. I also love your Dungeon Denizens section. I'm pondering giving my players an orc encounter with fire coming out their bums every 1d4 combat rounds and otherwise have troll or ogre, ogre stats. The fire from their bum feature will be display and impress only feature. If the PCs fail their save against spells, they'll take 2 to 8 points of damage from the illusions. Anyhow, could you friendly explain the minimalistic d20 system to someone like me in a way that i can finally get me head around it keep up the good work i do enjoy the podcast even though i don't understand the mechanics may the gods yes gods plural smile upon you dm brynar aka doc Mindwipe. p.s judge jim look forward to the next tuesday game which we canceled last tuesday <laughs> sorry <laughs> two of us couldn't make it uh Doc Mindwipe plays in the Save or Die Plus One Crew uh, basic D&D game. He's the plus one. So so basic is the TSR D&D he's talking about? I think he runs basic D&D. So, yes. I mean, as soon as the... uh, I'm going to interpret that as soon as the armor class flips, he gets confused. And I I understand what he's talking about, because the the AD&D first edition rules are hardwired in my brain. I don't have to think about them. And when I jump, as we went up different editions to 3.0 and the second edition and Thaco started coming in, it, you know, was a little bit of a pain in the ass for me. I have dyslexia to start flipping numbers around. What do you guys think? You know, I've heard that from a lot of, uh, you know, old school players that they have a hard time. To me, it just seems so much easier to just roll a d20 and add, and add a number to it rather than subtract and or look at a table i mean you have to look at a table right or you just memorize it or something i uh AD&D, it's an attack matrix and it's different for different classes it, it was crazy we used to i mean we didn't think anything about it in the day but you know the problem with old school gamers don't you we're old now <laughs> <laughs> our brains aren't as plastic as they used to be yeah, so I mean, I, I mean, I. This is how I explain it. You roll a d twenty and you add a bonus to it, and if it's higher than the target number, it's a success, or t- higher or equal to a success. Success. If it if it would make you happier, you could probably you know make it into a table of results, um, in in an Excel spreadsheet or something, and print it out and carry it around with you, maybe. Laminate it too. There you go. That's actually, that's actually an interesting idea, but I was going to just suggest that the, to get over the cognitive hump, all you really need to doc, all you really need to do is just uh, sit down with some players at a local game store who are playing DCC and just jump in as a player first, because I was scared to run the system until I played a few times. And I think Job's explanation of a minimalistic D20 system is right on. D20 plus a modifier, and you meet or beat some sort of target number, and you just can pretty much apply that to... Attack rolls, saving throws, and uh, spell checks—the the whole whole bit. So, I mean, it, I was—I don't know. It came pretty easily to me when I—I I mean, I first played with it with D and D three I don't know. It came pretty easily to me. I sort of liked the mechanic. I don't know. Well, the other big innovation, I guess, that came in three O is boiling the saves down to three different saves. So yeah, 
instead of a whole table full of saves boiling it down. Right. So I, I don't know. I think it's easier. You know, it's like, hey, this is a will save. I, I it, you can kind of to me kind of figure out if it you know a reflex fortitude will. It's easy to take those three classifications, kind of apply it to to anything. You know, not rods and staves and oh, right. I don't know the poison centipedes or whatever. Like the whole thing is. <laughs> Easy now. That's the system I grew up on. <laughs> I hear you, but it's. I mean, I, I since I was there through the whole transition, except where they tweaked it, it's the same math. It's the exact same math. So, if, Doc, if you know any math, it's just it's 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 the same math, just with a simpler formula, it, I, I, which doesn't explain anything to somebody like me. But if you just sit down at a table with a bunch of people who are already doing it, you know, you roll up your character, they tell you what to roll, and a couple three games, you've got the hang of it. It's no big deal. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't be intimidated by it. I think that's what, like Jim says, that's what it comes down to. If you just sit down, give it a whirl, play with some folks that know what's going on, and you'll have it within. I would say within half of a session, but it'll it'll come to you pretty quick. Doc is hardcore because he lives in Great Britain. He's a Nor- Norwegian. I'm trying to hyphenate his nationality like we do in America. He he's of Norwegian descent, so he has this English Norwegian accent. And he lives in Great Britain, and he gets up at like two in the morning to play with us online. He's hardcore. Crikey! <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty pretty brutal. Okay, next email. Thanks, Doc. Hey. Yeah, thanks, Doc. Uh, the next one is from um, Mike Lowe, and he writes, Hey, guys, just enjoyed your clerics episode. I was feeling your pain on the lack of deity information in the DCC rulebook. You can find a 48-page pantheon of the gods of Aerith, including your buddies Klazath and Shul, in DCC number 35, the Gazetteer of the Known Realms. Uh, and then he posts a link to the Goodman Games preview of that that. Uh, supplement gazetteer the known realms and that the pdf of that is on sale right now it, it is right now uh and he writes i hope that helps i'm always thrilled to see the new episode of spellburn pop up yours and bobu Gabblil's mike low but yeah that that is on sale right now at rpg now i believe all the dcc pdfs of goodman games are on sale yeah what, what did they go down to like 30 bucks or something isn't Gazetteer at fifteen? Oh, maybe that maybe that's what it is. I think it's. I, I think I normally, sure. yeah. I think normally it was thirty. Yeah, yeah. So that sounds right. Uh, but I think it's at fifteen right now on sale. Of course, depending on when we post this, it may or may not. I don't know how long the sale lasts. And uh, Mike, because I have all of our email listener emails in front of me, stay tuned. We're about to read an email that will give you an, another answer too. Yeah, I've been trying to get uh, the Gazetteer of the Known Realms on eBay forever. And I always get outbid. Oh, me too. Maybe we're bidding against we're, each other. Right, we're probably fighting each other. <laughs> you guys keep ratcheting the price up over and over and over, and then someone snags it. I'm just a baby. I want it in paper on my hands. Yeah, me too. One of my players, when I when I uh, uh, lived in San Diego, his name's uh, Nick. And I think he listens to the show now. Because he, he uh, I guess, wanted to pick up the books. So I was I, I, there was a real cheap you know collection of like you know the the base you know core book and a couple modules and it was it was pretty low so I was trying to snipe it and then um, it just went up too high because I just wanted an extra one to have in my box to you know have people want to at cons for people to look flip through like five minutes after the 
I, you know, I lost the thing. He sent me emails like, Hey man, I just picked up the core book and these four modules and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, did you just get these off? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was awesome. I was like, Oh man, I think I just, you know, boosted up the price for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Thanks Mike for writing in. Yes. Thank you. And this one reaches us from Jason Paul McCartan. This is a local. Okay, spell burners. When are you guys going to break down and do an actual play or a full zero or first level adventure and post it for others to listen to? I'm talking about having the three J's be players in a game ran by one of the upper management minions of the Dark One himself or some other victim chosen at random. Apart from the fact that I think this would be hilarious to listen to, I think would also pull together a lot of stuff that you've talked about over the last over the past episodes and act as a tutorial for those who want to switch to running DCC instead of other games, as well as get an idea of what makes the game just fun to play. It's also a hell of a marketing piece to promote the game as well. So what do you say? Chicken? Buck, 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 buck. You know, I don't know if that's ever going to happen unless it's at a Gary Con or something. You can come watch us all play at the same table while Michael Curtis murders our characters. (laughs) Or tries. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not the first request we've had for a, an actual play episode. I'm not sure. I mean, we've tried to we've tried to sprinkle on some of the actual plays. I mean, we we did the spell duel. Uh, we ran Glenn through, you know, Joe Brandon through some of the zero level funnels. So, I mean, we've done a little bit of you know snippets of actual play on the show so far. I don't know about an, a full actual play episode though. I mean, I just want to be completely transparent and open and honest. I mean, when I'm playing, I cuss like a sailor, so we'd have to edit all that out. You know, it'll be a four- or five-hour session that has to be somehow edited down so it's not completely boring, and one of us will have to do that. And none, this isn't any of our day jobs. <laughs> yeah. And there are, there are I mean, it, there are lots of... Uh, I mean, I appreciate that some people do enjoy those those kinds of programs, and that's why there's podcasts like the Delvers podcast, which is wonderful. But that that's that sounds and uh, so good and so entertaining to watch. That guy puts an insane amount of effort into it. Yeah, I love the Delvers, but I can't imagine how much time he was putting into those episodes to generate. You know, twenty minutes of listening material it must have taken hours to do. Yeah. But they are awesome. You know, I just bookmarked the other day. Somebody posted like some a- an actual play of a DCC session. I don't know if you guys saw that. I didn't, and I'd I'd love to say it. I'd love to see. You know, it so we could direct somebody to it. Yeah, I wish I wish I knew the name of the site, but um, we'll put it in the show notes. I, it's definitely bookmarked in my giant list of bookmarked things that are cool. Sweet. Um, I I've just never really enjoyed um actual play. Like I I listen every once in a while. I just I've never listened to a good one as. It seems like it's just boring. Have you listened to Delvers, Joe? I have. I have. I, I love I, it. I, I haven't checked that one out, but I, there's this one. It was like Thaco's Hammer or something. I was like, oh, my God, what is this drivel? <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm not going to address uh, that. But we, I am we, totally we, joking. It's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> we, we get the same request all the time on Save or Die, and the Save or Die crew plus Doc Mindwipe, we do have an online game together that we could record, and we've talked about it. And um, it's it's you know it's it's us with our hair down, not being on air personalities, and we're just you know we're we're doing what gamers do, which includes a lot of inappropriate uh, humor and language. Liz leads the pack, believe it or not. 
<laughs> you know, when we do these things, I, I, it, it's taken my full focus not just to curse or accidentally make a joke about Fox News that'll get the forums fired up. You know, I'm, I'm on my best behavior <laughs> for this thing, which isn't too good because I just did it again. <laughs> but yeah, and I think that's probably the biggest reason why we haven't done it because I don't think any one of the three of us are actual play podcast follower so it makes it you know makes it tougher but that you're right there someone did post a link to someone that did an actual play for dcc so maybe we can compromise and get that link on the the site when we post this up and uh appease some folks that way they can listen to some actual play yeah and if you just want to see a contest of wills between any of us and like harley stroh or michael curtis just come to gen con there'll be plenty of it there for you to watch or not gen con well you could come to gen con too i meant gary con yes gary con I have my room booked. Oh, sweet, sweet. Oh, yeah. I haven't done anything on that front. It's a it's challenge, Joe. Rick Hull and uh, DM Todd are coming up from Cincinnati, so Lake Geneva South should be well represented. Oh. All right, got to talk to the wife again. i got to try. I, I talked to her into give, uh, letting me buy some, some art, so maybe I could talk, let her, uh, maybe she could be talking to that. Sometimes it's just easier to ask for forgiveness. Just tell them you're going away for a couple of days, and then when you get back, you can say you're sorry. Sure. Follow it up with some roses. There you go. Honey, I'm going out to get some bread. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, don't traumatize your children. Daddy, Daddy went for cigarettes, and we haven't seen him for a week. <laughs> Next email. Uh, this is from uh, Claytonian. And Claytonian writes, I want to hear if dragons are a critical hit for you guys. Please do a show on them. As for my experience with dragons as a judge, my patented random monster generator popped out Tiamat during the funnel. <laughs> I'm loving that. Uh, and the player survived by impressing uh, her with, or impressing it with their greed. Later, during first level, the survivors encountered a happy green dragon admiring a party of adventurers it had just slain and hung up like deer carcasses. It demanded they go back to town and find an artist to record the site for posterity. They kind of failed, but the wizard agreed to the dragon's odd pact that, should said wizard become a time traveler, he will be bound to finally bring an artist back in time. I mean, I'm liking how this guy runs his game. Uh, nobody considered fighting any of these dragons, so sadly, I have never had the chance to have a dragon fight in DCC, uh, Claytonian. There are no dragons in my uh, DCC campaign currently, so I'm going to throw it to you guys. Well, we've talked about dragons in the past, and I think when we uh, when we had the show with Glenn, um, if if people can ma- made it that far into that episode, and uh, I think dragons are a critical hit. I mean, I think they're really great. They're they're all unique, and I, I'm not sure that we could do an entire show on them. But um, I don't know. What do you think, Jeffrey? Um, I okay. My players, if you don't want to know how I do things, you might want to just mute this part and not listen to it. But I've run a dragon for my group, but I did it as sort of an avatar for a for a for a patron. Uh, but it was really just dragon stats out of the book. Uh, it was like a five hit dice dragon. And it it roughed them up pretty good. <laughs> they they beat it, but it was pretty much down to if the wizard hadn't rolled a twenty on his last what was really going to be his last magic missile ever, he would not have survived the next round of attacks because it was pretty much had sent the party various places. And 
the the system worked well. I generated the dragon up like you're supposed to out of the book. Did did the rolls and uh, put it all on an index card. It was a spellcasting dragon. Uh, like I said, it sort of represented itself more as this silver haze avatar of a patron, but it was really dragon stats. Um, and it played well. It, it, it did. It came in a nice, nice level. It, like I said, it scattered the party. I think it knocked some of them down. It was down like two or three characters standing uh, by the time we got to the end. And like I said, if it hadn't been for the natural twenty on the wizard's last roll, there it would have been his last roll. Uh, so I think the dragons are good, uh, and, and I think there's a lot of options. I think it's fun for the judge to sort of tweak them out uh, from the book. Uh, so I think dragons are, work real well in DCC. I have a suggestion. I can't believe I'm going to cite Tolkien, but uh, do some reading, uh, even if it's just on Wikipedia, and some research on how Tolkien had the dragons in the Third and Second Age set up, because those were not D&D dragons. You you know get to the bottom of the dungeon, and there's a big XP pile sitting there for you to collect. Those dragons were like you know minions of Sauron and went out and wiped out whole nations of people. And if you want to DCC a dragon, there you go. The dragon. <laughs> yeah. And dragons are supposed to be pretty unique, and I mean, in DCC, they're like supposed to be named dragons, and it's not. There's fifteen red dragons in the world, but it's like there's this. You know, dragons have names and things like that. So, I think DCC tries to convey a little bit of that. Okay, next email. Okay, so from Tom Murphy. Hey there, spellburners. Uh, I just thought I'd drop you a line about the spell duel in my campaign this week. After hearing about the spell duel in episode 11, I showed up my weekly game determined to make my players bust one out. Fortunately, the seeds of inter-party conflict had been sown, and all I had to do was nurture their descent. <laughs> <laughs> I've been running the party through a conversion of the Bandits of Bunglewood, an old Chris Perkins adventure from Dragon. The base premise is that a party of kobolds packing PC levels have been attacking people on the roads, and the party sent to deal with them. The twist is, no one who is attacked will admit to being totaled by kobolds, so they always claim it was something else. My party heard conflicting reports on the identity of bandits and instantly thought doppelgangers. This turned out to be perfect, because now they suspect each other. A few meaningless, meaningless notes exchanged between me and the suspect player built a case against the party thief. Soon enough, the party cleric wanted to throw down to exterminate the doppelganger in their midst. What ensued was a great spell duel, cleric versus thief, one side invoking the divine powers of an immortal deity, the other reading off a bevy of scrolls trying to desperately to counter. When the inevitable oh, flogiston disturbance hit, it was music to my evil DM ears. Needless, needless to say, a great time was had by all, even if the cleric did kill a thief for no good reason, then sheepishly had to recover the body. All in all, I have to sing the praises of the Spell Duel system and, of course, your podcast for putting me on to it. Well, Tom, thank you for uh, sending us that Spell Duel report. Didn't we offer a contest or a prize or something for the first guy that did that? It's I so hard to remember. I think we did. I um, think so. Job, what, right. what do we got in the prize bag? Okay, uh, for this contest, we've uh, I'm going to be sending Tom Murphy a copy of uh, the, my module um, into the Demon Idol, which is basically uh, we've talked about it in the past, but it's um, adventure based on uh, kind of around if the. If you're searching the, for an adjective, I've got one. It's sweet. <laughs> it's a sweet adventure about uh, basically uh, built around the the cover of the uh, AD and D uh, player's handbook. So if you just look at that art, and then uh, the, I just made an adventure around that. 
So um, we'll be contacting you via email, Tom, and I'll get that off in the mail to you this week. Hey, and when your players are in that adventure, be sure they stop by Wampler's General Store and talk to the proprietor. <laughs> yeah, definitely thanks for the play report, Tom, and uh, congratulations on winning the, winning the module. That's just an awesome, awesome story, too. It is cool. I love, I love that it was a spell duel between a cleric and a thief. Yeah, no kidding. Definitely off the beaten path on that one. We had the spell duel we had during the chain coffin with the elf, and one of the big bads went off so well. As soon as I got a chance at the cleric, I'm like, okay, spell duel. And then I realized I had nothing to counter with, so no spell duel. (laughs) 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 Okay, so our next email reaches us from Rob Acton. How's it, Spellburners from Cape Town, South Africa? I love your show and the DCC game, which I was able to pick up, black and gold version, in a local gaming store a few months ago. Wow, he was able to pick one of those up a few months ago? In South Africa. I think on a little gaming trip down there, I guess. Um, Have run players through Doom of the Savage Kings and Sailors on the Starless Sea, and I borrow huge chunks, mostly tables, for my ongoing D&D Next campaign. The only thing we hadn't done was spell dueling, but after your last podcast, we will definitely give it a go. I agree wholeheartedly with your praise of the game, and my players and I have enjoyed every game immensely. However, no game is perfect. Would you allow me to voice a negative comment without detracting from my love of the system? No. Let's just go on to the next email. (laughs) 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 All right. I, I guess I'll finish it, so... He uh, he's, he writes, uh, while the game obviously channels Appendix N sources, particularly Moorcock, isn't that in some ways a limiting factor? To invoke those old classic sources, the system imports much of the flavor of that literature into its rule system. In other words, fluff is more inseparable insepar- from crunch. This is fine for players like me who thrive on the ideas like magic should be dangerous and dark and gods are capricious. But what about the large number of players who have different sensibilities and want a game system flexible enough to cope with their particular brand of game? Does this not limit the game system in terms the the size of its potential audience and its longevity? Since we started playing DCC, it has definitely sent one of my players off to start an adventure reading Moorcock and Zelazny. But one of my other players asked whether he could simply cast less powerful versions of his wizard spells without the chance of mishap. They probably represent two clearly demarcated sections of the RPG game market. Don't you think a great game like this should pitch itself at both section, sections? Or would it lose too much of its character and charm if it did? Thanks for your entertaining and helpful show. Well, that's, that's a good question, and it's interesting. I mean, if you took the DCC game and ripped out the parts that he's talking about, you would then be left with a typical retro clone. And I don't mean typical, because I enjoy the retro clones. So... Why wouldn't you then just go play Labyrinth Lord? Yeah, I sure agree with you, Jim, on that. It, uh, it, it's, it's. I think DCC it, it thrives on that appendix and the randomness. I, I've, you know, I've said numerous times the randomness is such a key element of the game. The dangerousness of magic. It. I mean, it just. I don't know. It. It gives it the. It gives the game that edge. And I think if you strip some of that away, like you said, and and I'm too a huge fan of the the OSR retro clones and things. Uh, but if I want a, a, a Planar game, less randomness, more. Then I'm probably going to pick up Labyrinth Lord or you know Swords and Wizardry or you know basic D and D or something like that to to play. Uh, 
so I don't I don't know if the game needs to I don't think the game needs to cater to all. Uh, it, it's uh, I don't think it needs to cater to all. I think it does really good at what it does, uh, and I, I think it I think I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm a big believer in why choose between cake and pie. Why not have both? Because uh, DM Todd out of Gateway Games this Saturday is running us through our third session of Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, which is first edition AD&D, and it's the system I grew up on, and I go out there and play, and I love the holy crap out of it. And and the next week after that, I'll be playing DCC. So, I mean, there are some, you know, Pathfinder, that's not really my style of game, but there are lots of people that enjoy it. So, I mean, uh, if you have players that want, you know, their sort of D and D spell mechanics, where it's more like engineering and physics, and you know exactly what's going to happen. Play that too. Why not? Yeah, and as as I mean, there's there's plenty of games out there that already serve the market um, of you know the player that doesn't want the, the mishaps. Um, you know, there's a, there's the original versions of D and D or editions. There's all the clones that are out there that are great, and. Um, so I mean I th- I don't think that limits uh, you know Joseph Goodman isn't limiting his market by by um, kind of going to this this new place I think he's really expanding it because there's there's no one's really filled this this niche yet I don't think I mean it's it's different I, it, you know some people don't like it I, I I'd say give it a try I mean my son I ran DCC for him he doesn't like it he doesn't like the randomness and that's a statement he's like I don't I want my spell to do what I want my spell to do. So I respect that. And when I run games for him, we tend to do, you know, something like Swords and Wizardry or Labyrinth Lord or something like that, just because he he's commented he likes his spells that way. But my online group, they all love the randomness. I mean, it makes it fun for everybody. So it's, you know, adapt to your players and, and try to find the happy medium between them. I mean, uh, Jim, uh, you could probably speak better on this, but... Uh, you know, listening to, you know, reading emails from DM Kojo and talking to other people and reading forum posts, it seemed like, you know, there's a lot of people who've um, played D&D for, you know, decades, love the game, and, uh, but DCC, um, it kind of is like taking the same, the the thing that the people love about the game and kind of um, breathing new life into it, you know? Well, absolutely. I mean, that, that, that's, that's why we're doing the three of us are doing this podcast, and 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 we're different age groups and came into different D and D at different times. But there's uh, there's just something about the not knowing. I mean, when I was describing what's going on in my campaign, I'm running my, my little homebrew skunkwork system I'm working on that uses DCC RPG uh, game mechanics, and the thing that was very exciting for the players was bashing on something and not knowing what it was. I mean, they, they, they enjoyed accidentally healing the iron column, <laughs> you know, Oh wait, we can't do that. And that, that was the thing when, when it was all new, when I was very young and it was all new. And even though it was in the rule books, I like to talk about the spell mechanics are in there in black and white and they do certain things. We didn't understand the game. And, and it was always something crazy happening that bit us in the ass. And I, I think the genius of what Joe's done is build that into a rule set, build that into it. And that's so it's 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 part nostalgia and part I'd forgotten I enjoy this for me. I mean, I'm a card carrying control freak. I like I, I, I love an AD&D game. I mean, <laughs> DM Todd's running us through Expedition to Barry Peaks and he's doing his best to kill us and wipe us out. And uh not with me as a magic user on watch. It's not happening. I know those rules. 
<laughs> so I, I, I like it that way, and I like it the DCC way. And I guess that was my suggestion, was just go enjoy both. I think you're up, Pops. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> From Joel, he says, Patrons, after hearing about Spellburn on Save or Die, you're welcome, uh, I decided to check it out, and I'm really enjoying it so far. Each of you bring a lot of enthusiasm for DCC, which is fun to hear. You each mentioned the ongoing DCC campaigns you play in, so I must ask, how does an ongoing DCC campaign differ from another old-school campaign? DCC seems like a lot of fun for a one-shot, but what does it offer for the long term? How would you compare and contrast your DCC campaigns to, say, basic D&D or AD&D? Hoping to avoid patron taint, Joel. Sort of segued into that by accident. Yes, we did. Jeffrey, you're 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 the man. On point. You've got an ongoing <laughs> campaign that's uh, over a year old now, right? I do. It's over a year old. We started playing back in like early August, I think, of last year. So yeah, we're a little over a year old. Uh, same group of players, same core group of players. Uh, and the biggest thing I can say is, as as the judge, sort of expect the unexpected. Uh, there's not much mapping it out. Uh, uh, I think DCC works great for a long-range campaign, but just don't go into it thinking you're going to know the whole story arc from from first level to tenth level because too many things change because of the randomness. That you've got patrons getting mad, you've got disapprovals causing side quests, uh, you've got side quests that cause more problems for the players that they have to solve. So uh, uh, it's sort of like expect the unexpected, roll with it. Uh, try not to get too far ahead and try to l- listen to your players and the events that are happening to them because when one of them gets cursed, they're going to want to solve that. And that may not have been in your thing because you weren't your long range plan because you weren't thinking they were going to get cursed. But now they are. And now they need to go seek someone out to help them. So uh, I think DCC works great as a, as a, as a long term campaign. Just as a judge, be more willing to go with the ebb and flow of what your characters are up to and what is affecting them in your campaign world. Does that surprise you that that's happening? Did you plan that? Um, You know, I went into it sort of when I started the campaign, I started out just sort of stringing a couple adventures together. Uh, So I I didn't go into this one with a big long range plan per se. Uh, So I sort of probably started out on the right foot. Um, but we've had, like I said, my past two sessions have been almost all improv, uh, just because I I tend to run published modules and I tend to tweak the front ends of them and tweak the back ends of them. So they fit into the game world. Uh, but the past two sessions, there's just been enough stuff they've been trying to take care of that has resulted from curses and patron favors and taking over temples that I never expected them to take over. Uh, the 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 wizard they kidnapped. They just set me up. I had no idea they were planning that, and they just rolled with it. And it's like, uh, okay, uh, yeah, you know, the guy's paralyzed. You now have paralyzed the wizard in town that makes stuff. It, so, well, I um, asked that question very earnestly because I mean, I've run the same Gamma World campaign off and on for almost thirty years now. God, I'm old, and. If- <laughs> played in my brother's ADD campaign that's run through every edition of the game and has now gone full circle from 4th edition back to AD&D. And so what I see happen over and over again is the players eventually take the story over and the campaign creates itself 
naturally given time. Now, I don't know if that's an old school thing or just it sounds like exactly what you're describing in your campaign. It does. It is. And I, in, in a lot of ways, I think it's um, I think it's an old school thing, I think. and But I think there's a lot of probably the younger players or players that entered in with the D&Ds with or 64 pages long for an adventure you know when some of us are you know came from the 16 page modules that just let the players drive the story more instead of us trying to fit the characters to follow the story uh so i think it's more of an old school thing it sounds very much like your campaigns where they've evolved over time and the players have players and characters have driven the story as opposed to this overreaching arc what do you think joe uh, i i agree with everything you said <laughs> 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 Did you have your headphones off during that? Um, so yeah, I, but I think it can be nerve wracking because for the, I mean, you got some of us, even if we're not older in age, we've been playing for a long time since we were kids, so we're used to probably different styles. But there's a lot of people out there that you know D and D three or pathfinder or dnd 4 you know were their intro to the gaming and so i think those come with a lot of uh adventure paths longer modules that have an incredible amount of detail that even if you're just playing a you know this adventure is written for fourth to sixth level and you know but it's a 64 page book with just an immense amount of detail that you feel like you're uh you're molding to the story more so than your players and characters are driving the story. And I think that's a a perception that some people, there's a whole group of people out there that haven't seen this, letting the characters truly drive the story. And they get uncomfortable if you go into something, not knowing how this is supposed to look over the next six levels. It's a Uh, a whole nother topic and I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I think that's a situation that's been created over time. I mean, because I know from reading John Peterson's book, they initially, uh, Gary Gygax and original TSR, poo-pooed the idea of published modules. Way, way, way back, basic D&D. And then they saw the light and then they went, oh, wait a minute, this is how we keep making money out of the system is we keep doing modules and on and on and on until it turned into, you know, Watsy and Splat books and, you know, to play fourth edition, you've got to have a three foot of your shelf full of books. So that's a situation that's that's engendered some of the style of play you're talking about. Yeah. Buy, yeah. buy it all off the shelf and, and it should all string together. That's where Judges Guild came from, right? I mean, they uh, they were putting out the adventures that, that TSR didn't want to. Initially, you're right. So that's interesting. But uh, as far as DCC goes, I mean, you're not having any trouble creating a long campaign. A year is a good run for a campaign. Yeah, no, I haven't had any trouble at all. In fact, uh, a lot of ways DCC keeps it interesting because it throws in those monkey wrenches that because of the way that dice fell on some random table somewhere, now we've got a new problem to solve that I wasn't even expecting. So it keeps it fresh for me. I don't feel quite as much pressure to try to plan this out way far ahead it's more i only need to stay like a half step ahead of the party uh and sometimes not even that much it's you know uh, roll with it on the fly but uh so to me as a judge it it makes it i don't know it makes it keeps it fresh and fun for me too even over the course of a year uh just because things are taking me for loops that i didn't know it's an Um, old school judge trick to just pretend to have something to run for your players and if you can, if you've got a good enough poker face, you just sit behind the screen as though you've got something planned, and then listen to what your players say. And what they start, t- they'll they'll paranoid up an adventure for you to run right in front of your eyes. 
Yeah, and that's very true. My last session was real close to that. As they, you know, as I started, just, I was literally half step ahead. Based, in fact, my last adventure, my last session was based a lot off of a Twitter conversation. I saw two of my players having the afternoon of the game, and I'm thinking, I could whip that together real quick. <laughs> and you know, and then boom, next thing you know, we've got half the session covered with what I picked up off of a Twitter conversation. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's perfect. <laughs> nice. I've lost track of where we are in the emails. I think it's it, me, and, and I got Kojo'd again. <laughs> I think it's my D- turn, though, isn't it? I go after oh. Jim. Oh, sorry. Okay, never mind. If if you really wanted to read, be Kojo'd again, though, you can. If you want to ruin my joke, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you go. You go. <laughs> so I'll rain on Job's parade. This one again is DM Kojo. Uh, who writes, Greetings, Spellburner, Curse of Mighty Deeds. As you know, my gaming group switched from 2nd Edition AD&D to DCC RPG a few months ago. The results have been fantastic. We've run several funnels, and the group is having a blast. One player wrote his own funnel, and so I got to be a player for the first time since 1989. It was a ton of fun, and two of my characters actually survived. Woo-hoo! Since we started playing, four of my players have purchased a core book. One of my players, who has yet to try DCCRPG, came over last night to check out the book and discuss the rules. He liked the sounds of the game, but expressed concern that by starting out with a group of zero-level characters, he would not feel as connected with his characters later on. This was also my concern with the funnel initially, but what we have found is that players are even more attached to their characters at the end of the funnel. I believe this is because you take them from nothing to something, and their journey is very perilous. This seems to create a strong bond between player and PC, and it is fun to see the character take shape over the course of the funnel. Burn on. Well, uh, Kojo, if it makes you feel any better, I felt exactly the same way as you and your player when I first heard of the character funnel myself. I'm like, ah, I don't want to play a bunch of level zeros. What's the point of that? Yeah, that was my initial reaction, too. I was like, I'm never going to play this. Yep, that was my reaction, too. When, I first, when they did first did the quick start rule with the free, free RPG thing, I'm all like, that's stupid why would i want to do zero levels and not build my character uh so i thought the same thing initially too but (laughs) (laughs) right exactly (laughs) but then i actually played a funnel and uh i found out you become amazingly attached to your characters and they actually have probably stronger attachment than the ones i craft over and just perfect write my backstory it's just uh because they like like Kojo says in, in the email, they've survived this perilous journey, and now they have experiences that form the character. Uh, and even if it's the one with the worst stats out of the group, you've <laughs> you've bonded to this character, uh, and you feel much more in touch with them. Uh, that's been my experience, and seems to be the experiences of the players I've run for. So it happened to me <laughs> quick. I love to play wizards and uh, magic users, and I didn't roll any level zeros that were going to ever be that. So uh, the the first character I got attached to was a dwarf gong farmer who uh, critted the holy hell out of a beast man in Sailor of Starless Seas with his you know shovel or whatever he had. And as soon as he did, as soon as he pulled off that crit, I'm like, "There's my dude!" And I was playing the hell out of him until he got killed. But that's another story. <laughs> but that, I I got attached to that guy as soon as that happened. I I would just tell your your player to. Just shut down, shut up, and sit down and play it. It's not like the final takes that much time. I mean, it's a couple nights, one night session. Yeah, I'd be yeah sure. one or two nights usually uh, for the ones I've run. Yeah, throw a couple of beers in the deal. Whatever you do, to got to get him to play because he'll get hooked. Yeah. And oh, speaking of hooks, is, am I up for the next email? No, I think I'm up. 
I'm just trying but, to steal your email, man. Yeah, I'm trying to ruin your joke. Because this it. comes from John Hook. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys. Uh, yes, I am the author of the upcoming Age of Cthulhu Volume 8, Starfall Over the Plateau of Lang. And I also wrote Age of Cthulhu Volume 7, The Time San- Timeless Sands of India. My request to have you guys give a demo of how to create and populate a mini dungeon crawl scenario is fueled by my need to learn how to do it so I can write something for Joseph Goodman for a small DCC thing. So what do I do when I don't know what I'm doing? I go to those I perceive as experts and try to employ their help. Oh, so secretly, of course. LOL. Thanks, guys. John. Well, I I think Joe listens to the show sometimes. Should we have read this on the air? I'm 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 trying to understand. Did John just ask us to write an adventure for him so he could submit it to Joe? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, I'm going to just guess he's kidding, or or I am. One of us is. I you know th- that's a lot of work to do on air. You know when we kind of just do this for free. But I mean, uh, I I thought about this. I read this email and I thought about it. I mean, I, I know there are listeners that. I'm trying to figure out if I'm trapped by my perceptions because when we started D&D, you sat down with a piece of graph paper and just, you know, when you're kids, you just block out a bunch of rooms and everybody's first one is just a kill zoo where you go from room to room and there's a different monster and you kill it. You know what I'm saying? Did you guys do that in the beginning? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was called Deities and Demigods usually. (laughs) (laughs) So he's not asking that question, but, uh, I mean, we can give him some design advice on what to do, what we do. I mean, you, you've got a published adventure coming out. I'm working on one. I just wrote a whole module for my players that uh, will never see the light of day unless something weird happens. We can get some general design device. I mean, what do you start with? You, you start with a, a, a plot hook and a theme. Um, he said he wrote these Age of Cthulhu books. I'm not, I'm not, I've never played Call of Cthulhu and have just read a smattering of Lovecraft. But what are those uh, hounds that chase you through time and space? Hounds of, uh, you know, you guys don't know either, huh? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not a, I don't do a lot of Cthulhu mythos. Or Michael Curtis. <laughs> it's basically, if, if you're a human being and you travel through time, these hounds sniff you out and they will run your butts down through every dimension you flee through. And they're, they're, uh, uh, hounds that, uh, can only turn on angles. So if you're in a perfectly round room, they can't come in in your dimension and get you. So. There, there, there's, there's a hook for a whole dungeon right there. You just go, okay, the dungeon is a... Uh, I'll, I'll do this like it was a Call of Cthulhu adventure. The dungeon is a... And you steal stuff from everywhere. So the dungeon is like a cabinet that the player characters have told uh, a MacGuffin item they have to get is in the cabinet. They step in the cabinet. The cabinet's like the TARDIS. It's a whole other dimension, and every room is round, and these things are chasing you through the dungeon. And it becomes like the inverse of a normal dungeon where the hallways are safe and the rooms are dangerous. You create a situation where the players have to hide out in the rooms and chance the hallways because these interdimensional wolves are chasing them. There. There's a whole thing you can – now you can just sit down with that Labyrinth Lord book we were just talking about full of Labyrinth Lord Cthulhu monsters and start popping them in. There's a whole dungeon idea right there for free. Sounds like a pretty good one, too. I mean, how'd you start with yeah. your, your dungeon that's coming out now was the ma- the mystery map winner. How did you conceive of that? Well, you know, since it was the contest, they give you, like, the beginning of a map and the picture of one beast. It was, like, but, half a map. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess. 
But um, I, I, I mean, one good way to start off is you know is is to come up with some kind of random element. Um, you know, you could use a bunch of different books. Um, possibly the Dungeon Alphabet, though, for you know just coming up with a really random thing, and you might be better off with like the Tome of Adventure design. Um, and just just generate a couple of random elements and then just start from there and, and, and just build on in your head, you know, some way to tie these things together. And, um, that, that's how a lot of the stuff works for me. Um, the other thing I do is I read a lot of, um, adventures and, um, I just try to think of things that haven't been done before and, and, um, try to work that into an adventure. Um, so like, um, you guys know that I've got, um, what do they end up calling it? Glipcario's Gambit is coming out, I think, this year. The Cat Lady um, cover. Yeah, the Cat cover. Um, so that one was this whole idea I've had for a while of I got from I don't know, like Memento or, or um, Pulp Fiction or something. It's very convoluted. So um, it's just a concept of telling a story in a different way that I've been trying, had been thinking of. Um, and and been wanting to write, and I actually pitched it to Wizards of the Coast like three times, and they kind of like, well, maybe, boo, boo, boo. well, and and then they ended up not, you know, wanting that one, and uh, I knew I was going to be able to use it eventually. So luckily, you know, Joseph picked up on that. But yeah, so just just uh, come up with the concept of trying to do something different, since you know there's forty years of adventures out there. Um, you know, you don't want to be just another also ran. And a hundred years of appendix end literature. I mean, go go right. go read through some of that and s- steal everything you can. I mean, it's funny because Michael Curtis and I talk a lot, and Michael's very well read in that appendix end literature, and I'm just starting to get to some of it. So I'm, you know, we're having a conversation where he's talking about, uh, um, you know, Robert E. Howard and uh, Ashton Clark Smith, and I'm talking about Jack Kirby comics, and you know. Uh, post-apocalyptic movies from the 70s and we're pulling stuff from everywhere nice so steal steal like a crazy steal it take it twist it turn it into something else what do you think jeffrey i mean your guys ideas are all great uh sometimes i'll start with a map and then populate from there sometimes i'll have at least in my longer running campaign i'll just have a situation where i feel like there's nothing written written that fits what I need at the moment, so I'm able to. That'll spur my idea for what I need because I feel like I've got a gap and I need to write something to fill that gap. Uh, you know, those are a little more campaign specific. But uh, your guys' ideas of taking stuff uh, either from adventures you read, appendix in, or other fantasy literature or sci-fi literature converted to uh, you know any any source and just tweak it, adapt. And uh, use that for your your spark of your idea. And like you said, if you're completely stuck for ideas, uh, you know, the Dungeon Alphabet or a Tome of Adventure design, let that get the wheels turning a little bit, at least to free them up, and that can be useful as well. So that's a pretty good bolus of advice there. Yeah, and John, we want to cut. (laughs) (laughs) Additional ideas by (laughs) Jim Wampler as stolen from uh, Doctor Who. Okay. Uh, Joe, you're up next. I'm, I'm just, not. I'm just messing with you, man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, holy cow. All right. I'm going to give this a shot. Our next email is from Bjorn Angerfors, who says, 
Greetings, Spellburners. I just finished listening to episode 10 again, second time around, and I thought I'd send you a link to the wonderfully old-school supplement, Petty Gods. Since you complained about the relatively short list of deities in the rulebook, hey, that was all Job, and uh, the sad lack of information on said deities. Petty Gods came about through a collaborative project in the OSR community, so the stats presented in it are for Labyrinth Lord and Old School D&D, but if any stats are needed in a DCC game, they should not be that hard to make up or convert on the fly. A lot of the gods presented in it are just great for that DCC feel, and the art is in many cases fantastic, and in a free product, no less. And then he gives us a link, which we'll put in the show notes. I hope you like it as much as I do. Keep up the good work, guys. Judge Angerforce, also known as Bjorn Angerforce, from Sweden. I actually own this. I got it as soon as it came out, and he's right. It's an awesome little book full of uh, petty deities, petty gods. Glenn, uh, DM Glenn did uh, much of the art in it. Oh, he did? Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, I've seen it before, too. So another source for deities for your DCC game. The Gazetteer of the Known Realms is, is, is a very earnest set of deities, and the Petty Gods ones are really old school and kind of um, Judges Gildian. So he's right. It's very DCC. That sounds right up my alley. Yeah, that's definitely worth a look. Well, thanks, uh, Anger Force. Yes, thank you. I'm sure people will appreciate that that when we get the link up on the site. Uh, so the next email is from Chris Hook, and he writes, Hey, Spellburners. Been listening to and enjoying the podcast. You've got yourselves a second-generation DCC convert and me. You converted DM Kojo, and he introduced me to DCC, and I love it. Keep up the good work. I'd be interested to hear about how you run your campaigns in DCC and how you've seen others run them. The published adventures are awesome on their own, but I'm wondering how best to turn them into coherent campaign rather than just a series of one-offs. Do you mostly use published adventures, or do you use a lot of your own material? Any tips for connecting the adventures to each other? And are you using a published campaign setting or homegrown? How sandboxy, is that a word, are your campaigns? It seems like DCC encourages a lot of player-driven quest-forward adventures, which I love, but I'd like some tips on keeping that manageable. Looking forward to the next episode, Judge Hook. That's the whole Hook family writing in tonight. It is. Lots of hooks tonight. Plot hooks and people named Hook. Um, well, we've kind of talked about this, but uh, I'm trying to think of what else that we could say to it. I mean, uh, my campaign that is only five sessions old uh, is entirely homegrown, and, and I, I made it up. Although, as I shared at the top of the show, I'm appropriating stuff from Stonehill Dungeon and uh, other sources. I, I'm, that campaign's not old enough yet to uh, have to worry about, uh, you know, linking things together. Yeah, and for me, I started, let's see, for campaign setting, I'm not really using a published campaign setting, but I am merging pieces from different places. Uh, again, my players, if you don't want to see the magic behind the scenes, go ahead and mute. Uh, but I started my campaign with Perils of the Sunken City, the Purple Sorcerer product, uh, which right away gave me a big city, which was pretty much left to my whim to populate and do as I saw fit, along with a very interesting travel mechanism, to which was initially going to allow me an easy way to drop in adventures without a uh, – there's a real easy way to transport from place to place in the Sunken City type stuff. Uh, so I liked that because it let me drop different modules in different ways, which I've used uh, to my advantage. Uh, so I started with that. And that's all I had. And then uh, I needed to populate the city more. 
And I was short on time, so I borrowed Punjar uh, from the DCC line. And the great city that I call the great city is actually Punjar. Uh, and I use its government structure and boroughs and wards and things like that. And then I needed to expand a little more because I needed an adventure set in the mountains because I was going to run Sepulchre of the Mountain God from uh, Purple Duck Games. And so then I drew my own campaign map and gave myself a little bit broader world. But being DCC, you don't need a huge world, so that didn't take a whole lot. Uh, and from there, I've just fit things in and as I needed. Uh, so I'm sort of more of a homebrewed campaign setting but borrowing liberally from published sources to give me the highlights that I need. Can I share an observation of what I know from what you've told us about your campaign that is helping link those adventures together? Yes. You've got recurring villains. I do have that occur at times, yes. That that does help. And you're probably right. That's probably actually a good a good example of what does help tie disparate adventures together. So you could take a published TCC adventure and uh, give the bad guy a trap door to fall through or or do or just do it organically like you did with the uh, priests in that temple yes yes uh and, and you know always, you know there's various ways i've done that uh let's see a priest in one temple put a bounty out on the the party thought they were done at the temple the priest put a bounty out on their head which turned into a whole side trick in and of itself uh i had a an idol that uh the party stole some stuff from and then the idol tracked them down and continued to pursue after them a lot of the patrons are able to tie things across uh, multiple adventures. Sometimes a patron wants something that's inside the adventure that I'm going to be running, and so that sort of gives the uh, the, the overall feel the patron sort of drive some of the some of the things as well. So yeah, some of that helps tie take those one off adventures and give it more of a cohesive feel across all of them. So that's worked well for me too. As far as sandboxy. I'm using published adventures, but I really try to listen to the players and at the very least tie that published adventure into something the the players are after. Maybe they're looking for a new spell or a new artifact or a new way to do something. So there's no reason that can't exist in whatever adventure I might be wanting to run and just swap out some treasure in there with this item that you know they're sort of looking for. And then that helps give some cohesiveness to it as well, I think. If the campaign is any... Uh length of time old your uh, wizards have picked up some spell corruption and that's a good way to link the campaign elements because they're always going to jump at a chance to uh, get rid of their corruptions yep getting rid of corruptions uh, patrons are so powerful too you can always play with your characters through patrons <laughs> either because they've pissed a patron off or because they're trying to gain favor back with a patron uh, there's a lot of ways to use patrons to help tie things together across, across adventures too. Yeah, as you guys know, I, I kind of do more one shots. Um, I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but a, a while back, um, uh, Eric Tenkar Tenkar's Tavern did a little contest of where uh, the contest was to link together all the DCC modules with some kind of story. And so there's I did a see bunch. That contest. Yeah, so and it, there's a post, and uh, we'll link it into the show notes. But basically. Um, there's all all these people um, posted in there into the comments um, their idea for linking all of these modules together, um, the the ones that were published at the time. I love that blog, and I missed that somehow. I'm gonna have to go back and look now. That sounds. It cool. was a while ago. Yeah. Well, you can check the show notes. It'll be there, Jim. Yes, and sir. I, and I, <laughs> and I think uh, Purple Duck Games is considering 
uh, linking um, the Adventure Locale series AL 1 through 5 into a path of some sorts as well. Uh, at least they were soliciting was that of interest to people on Google+. And I think they were getting quite a few yes that would be of interest. So they might be, I don't know, 100% sure if they're moving forward with that, but that might be another case where if you're looking to string together some published adventures, that I think they're going to put some filler between them to help link them together. So that could be a cool little resource, too. We reviewed a uh, product from a company, an indie publisher called Small Niche Games on Saver Die called The Chronicles of Amherst, and that's a whole little uh, campaign setting that you could use as a leg up to start, it, both for ideas, not... I mean, you could use it for a literal setting because it is a setting, but for ideas on how to get it together because there was some good stuff in that. We should do a show from GaryCon because we'll, we'll, we'll be tired from playing, but we'll all still be in the same time zone at one occasion. Yes, that would be cool. Well, that is the bottom of the email bag for the moment, correct? That is the bottom of the bag for the moment. So thank you, listeners, for providing us with an entire show. Yes, definitely. We love to get the emails and lots of good questions this time too. I, it was fun going through them. Oh yeah, I had a blast. So uh, that'll wrap it up for uh, this episode. And uh, remember, never split the party unless the party has already split. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you, everyone. This is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Spellburn theme music is provided by the band Glitter Wizard. You can find them at glitterwizard.bandcamp.com. The Spellburn podcast is made possible in part by a generous grant from the We Do This For Free Foundation and the support of listeners just like you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Spellburn. Spellburn.